This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. So Luke chapter 5. reading from verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Uh, Gennesaret is the ancient name for the Sea of Galilee, sometimes called the Sea of Tiberias after the uh, Roman emperor, but it's just the same thing. They saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he said, he, sorry, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all, and they followed him. Our story begins with empty nets and ends with full nets. It's always good to have a happy ending, isn't it? From emptiness to fullness, from failure to fulfillment, from scarcity to supply, from lack to liberality. I want you to notice that their emptiness wasn't due to their idleness. Master, we have toiled all night. They were hardworking. They made the effort Sometimes our emptiness and sometimes our failure is due to our idleness. We haven't toiled all the night. We haven't let down our nets for a catch, but not here, not these people. There was emptiness in spite of busyness. There was failure in spite of faithfulness. In spite of working hard, in spite of doing everything they knew to do, they came up empty. We toiled all night. Lord, we let down our nets, but look, Lord, no catch, no fish, no reward, nothing for our efforts. No fullness, no fulfillment. Elijah was faithful. He toiled all night. But then one day the brook dried up. One day the ravens stopped coming. 
Moses, he was faithful too. But he spent years in the desert. King David spent some time in the cave Adullam. Daniel ended up in the lion's den. The Hebrew boys ended up in the fiery furnace. Joseph spent two years in prison. The apostle Paul went to prison. And it looked for a while that all of their faithfulness and all of their effort and all of their toil was in vain. It seemed to be all they came up with was emptiness and failure. But God turned it all around. Thank God he can turn everything around. And he turned their emptiness into fullness. Their seeming failure into fulfillment. Their scarcity into supply. The question is today, what made the difference? Because this is what will make the difference in our lives. First of all, their attitude. Did you notice in verse 2 that when Jesus found them, they were washing their nets? In other words, they hadn't quit. If it had been us, some of us would have been selling our nets. But they were washing their nets. They hadn't quit. They were making preparation for going again. They hadn't given up. Even though their nets were empty, even though they'd put all that effort in, even though they had all that trouble and got nothing, but they washed their nets, they dusted themselves down, and they were ready to go again. Attitude often is more important than aptitude. Your attitude sometimes is more important than your ability. Sometimes your ability is simply not enough. You need a right attitude. Thomas Edison was unquestionably one of the world's great inventors. (coughs) Reputedly, we owe the light bulb to him, the phonograph, which is the precursor of all your hi-fi systems and even your iPods and all the rest of it. He was a great inventor. But one time, the plant where he made everything, where he already had some experiments halfway through, we already had all of his expensive equipment. One day the whole thing burned down. And while it was going up in smoke, he called for his son Charles and his wife. And he took them by his side and he says, look, I want you to see this. You'll never see this happen again, so I want you not to miss this because there goes all my mistakes. (laughs) They're all being burnt up. And it was only a short time after that that he invented the phonograph because of his attitude. F.W. Woolworth as a young man, worked in a store. The boss came to him one day and he says, look, he says, this place is full of remnants. They're cluttering up the place. Gather them all up and rather than burn them or throw them out, 
Try your best to sell them. And so he put them into little bundles. And he advertised them for five cents a bundle. And the place was sold out almost immediately. And it gave him an idea. A little bit later, he raised some money. And he decided to open a five and ten cent store. This would be the equivalent of the pound shop today. Nobody in America was doing this. But he had this idea. So he opened a store, and nobody came. And he had to close it. And then he went to another city, and he opened a store. And nobody came, and he had to close it. <laughs> but he kept on and on until finally it caught on. By the time he died, he was worth $40 million, which then was a lot of money because of his attitude. Not his aptitude, but his attitude. Harlan Sanders was 65, 66 when he got his first welfare check. Most people that age, when you get the pension, that's you just about finished as far as careers are concerned. But he didn't have a career. He had nothing. All he had was his welfare check. But he prayed and thought about it and decided, what can I do with this? And he went out and he started to make a special recipe of chicken, finger-licking good chicken, with special herbs and spices. <laughs> And he became a multi-multi-millionaire. And he ended up giving millions to the kingdom of God before he died. <coughs> Colonel Sanders. One time, Colonel Sanders, at the height of his fame, he was given a great award. It's called the Horatio Alger Award. It's for the best entrepreneur in America. I don't know if they still do it, but they did it then. And when he was standing on the stage getting this great award, there was a man sitting in the audience. And he said to himself, one day they'll give me that award. And he was sitting there with nothing. And he went out and decided he was going to sell hamburgers. Now, of course, there was McDonald's. There was all these big hamburger chains even then. So what was his chances? He decided to call it Wendy's after his wee daughter. And a few years later, he stood up on that platform and he received the Horatio Alger Award because of his attitude. Attitude often is better than aptitude. These disciples had a lot of aptitude. They were professional fishermen. You couldn't tell them anything about fishing. They knew all about it from their wee boys. But right now at the moment, they had to have a change of attitude. All of their aptitude wasn't getting them anywhere that night. They needed a change of attitude. But notice here in verse 5, their affirmation... Nevertheless, 
at your word, I will let down the net. There's an affirmation for you. I will let down the net. Here was a clash between feelings and will. Very often in our lives, particularly as believers, there's going to be a clash between our feelings and our will. They said yes. They said amen. They said so be it to the Lord's instructions, regardless of their feelings. Obedience turns our emptiness into fullness, our failures into fulfillment. Notice the contrast between feelings and will. Feelings said, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. But will replied, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Feelings say, when I am weak, will replies, then I am strong. Feelings say, when my heart is overwhelmed, will replies, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. These men were tired and weary. <coughs> they put in a long, hard night shift. Physically, they were bone weary. Not only that, they were despondent. They had caught nothing. All of their effort came to nothing. The last thing they wanted to do at that moment was to go out and fish again. I suppose if Jesus hadn't have been there, what they would have done would have washed their nets and went home and got under their beds because they were tired and weary. And so they didn't feel like going out and fish today. Tomorrow, maybe, but not today. And anyway, what does Jesus know about their business? His business was carpentry. Their business is fishing. What can he tell them about fishing? They're the experts. It's their field, isn't it? It's their profession. And besides that, it was day, not night. And the fish would be lowered down in the lake. And their nets were made for more shallower water. So what was going to be the chances? Feelings are very powerful things, are they not? And sometimes they can completely fail us, can't they? Elijah, after his greatest victory, his feelings failed him. He ran from Jezebel all the way down to the wilderness in Beersheba. Sat under a juniper tree. Said, Lord, it is enough. Take me home. He was completely and utterly spent, despondent, weary. He was as down as he possibly could be. That was his feelings. C.H. Spurgeon, who without question was the greatest preacher that the British Isles ever produced, Prince of Preachers. As a young man, he's 20, he was preaching to thousands. They couldn't rent out halls big enough to hold the crowds. They built a massive place, 
He had a mega church in the 1800s. In fact, many, many times, even though there was thousands and thousands and thousands in the building, there was thousands and thousands out in the street couldn't get in. He was the most well-known preacher in the British Isles. In fact, he was known all over the world. He was in massive demand everywhere. His sermons after he preached were all <laughs> written out or typed out and sold. And they were sold all over the world. You can buy them today. Volumes and volumes of them. And yet he said, at the height of his powers, and at the height, if you want to use the term of his fame, he said there was times he could hardly climb into the pulpit. He felt so low and despondent. Can you imagine? Because of his feelings. Whenever he lectured his students on preaching, in fact, I have one of his books. There's a chapter called The Preacher's Fainting Fits. <laughs> that was his quaint way of putting it. He had all of that, and yet there was times, because of his feelings, he was so low, he nearly wanted to quit. But he didn't. He kept on. His will overcame his feelings. Remember King David said, Oh, if I had the wings of the morning, I would fly away and be at peace. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that? I just feel it getting away somewhere. <laughs> but obedience to his word can turn the situation around. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Look at their actions, verse 4. Jesus required of them two things. To launch out and to let down. <coughs> to launch out and to let down. To launch out called for fortitude, called for strength. But master, we have toiled all night. We're weary, we're tired, we're exhausted. We're a bit low at the moment. Come again another day, whenever we're on the up. They were in the shallows. To launch out into the deep is going to take some effort. How they were feeling physically, how they were feeling emotionally at that moment, it was, they were going to have to dig well into their reserves to do this. Nevertheless, it's amazing the strength you get when you say, nevertheless, nevertheless, I will let down the net. Obedience is the key, isn't it? To let down called for faith. They have to understand that these were professional fishermen. None of this made any sense whatsoever. As far as they were concerned, this is nuts. Who in their right mind goes out to the deep in the middle of the day to fish? This is not the natural way to do things. And besides that, it was to be done before a watching crowd. There was a multitude. They were watching. They were listening. They were waiting to see what was going to happen. Jesus put them right on the spot. <laughs> this wasn't done privately. 
The multitude was still there. Jesus had just finished speaking to them, and he turns around and says, cast out, go out into the deep, cast down your nets for a draft. So this was in front of everybody. What if it doesn't work? What if they come back empty-handed? How embarrassing would that be? How foolish would they look? I mean, the word would go around the fishing industry like wildfire. Did you hear about those Egypts out there in the middle of the day fishing? What nonsense. And sometimes God comes to us. And it's not in the natural. It's not the normal way of doing things. And somebody may think you're stupid. Somebody may think you're foolish. Listen, when I left my job, my boss came to me and put his arm around me and said, are you sure you know what you're doing? <laughs> Apart from not wanting to lose a good worker. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. But I had lots of men come to me and say, are you sure? This is a good wee job you've got. Security here. I said, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. Didn't know how it was going to work out, but I was absolutely sure this is what I was to do. It took me a while to get to that place. It took a while for the circumstances to work out to get me to that place, but when it came, I knew that was it. And do you know what? That place is closed today. All those people that told me this is a secure job, in other words, you're nuts to leave this, all of them, and it wasn't too many years, a couple of years after that, the whole place closed down. And I'm still going on, glory to God. Amen. Remember when I told Sally, it took her a few days to get her head around it because she could only see at that time the practical side. I'm not telling tales out of school. Just told this to our cell group. Took a few days to get her head around the practicalities of all of this because they were pretty dire, <laughs> let me tell you. But I knew God was in it. And you know what? He has never failed us. He's never let us down. We've never gone without because God knew what he was doing. But we had to let down her net by faith. Nevertheless, Peter was saying in effect, nevertheless, contrary to my feelings, regardless of the usual way to fish, I will trust your word. I will launch out into the deep. I will go forward in faith. Then look at the accomplishment. Verse 6 and 7. A great number of fish was caught. <laughs> a great number of fish. In fact, their nets began to break. And they realized quickly, if we don't do something, we're going to lose this catch. So they shouted on their partners and on their boat, come quickly, help us. And the catch was so great, it filled two boats until the boats were beginning to sink. That's some catch, isn't it? Remember years ago, I used to go fishing with our previous church that Clifford and I came from. Uh, there was about a dozen of us. We'd go fishing. The boatman who wasn't saved called us as the 12 disciples. <laughs> 
And whenever we used to come back, we had two big 45-gallon drums empty, and they were filled up with herring and mackerel. Catching herring and mackerel is the most boring thing you ever do in your whole life. It's so easy, it's ridiculous. And after a few times, we got fed up with that, and we tried for a cod, which is a wee bit harder on a, on a line. But anyway, our boat wasn't sinking. Our rods weren't breaking. But in this case, they were. There was such a massive catch. From emptiness to fullness, from scarcity to supply, from lack to liberality, their obedience led to their abundance. If you're obedient... God will abundantly supply what you need to carry out his mission for your life. All he requires is your obedience and your faith. He will do the rest. And their assessment. In verse 8, did you notice what Peter said? Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. When God demonstrated his power and his glory, he immediately, in the light of that, felt his own sinfulness and weakness and his humanity to the point where he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Hmm. Not that he wanted him to depart. He was exaggerating in that sense. He didn't want him to depart. But he just felt, I am nothing in his presence. I'm just a sinner in his presence. You remember Isaiah? Just before his call, when he said, here, my accept me. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his tree and filled the temple. And how did he feel? He felt dirty. I'm a man of unclean lips, he said. I live among a people of unclean lips. <laughs> An angel had to touch his mouth with a call from off the altar, symbolically, cleansing him. Do you know, I'm sure the Lord himself, physically, walked into this building right now and stood at the front of this church, I'm sure all of us would fall down before him. I'm sure we would feel our failures and our weaknesses <laughs> and our sinfulness in the light of his presence and his glory. And just at that moment, when Peter saw this amazing, astonishing catch of fish, at that moment it flashed upon him exactly who he was. Their astonishment. Verse 9. They had fished that lake a thousand times. And they had some great days. But never, ever had they a catch like this one. These, in my opinion, were the best fish in the lake. They were the fattest. <laughs> they were the tastiest. <laughs> And I believe that God got those fish to congregate in that one spot. 
at the right depth for their nets. And there those fish with it. It's important whenever God asks us to do something that we do it immediately. That we say yes immediately. Those fish weren't going to wait there. They weren't going to be there forever. There was a time, there was a moment. And if they hadn't have said yet, if they hemmed and hawed, the fish would have moved on. But God kept them there long enough for them to get out to them because they obeyed. And they said, yes, Lord. And they let down their nets and all these great fish. I was watching a program recently on television about the trawler men. Did you see that? There's lots of those programs. The trawler men. Now you realize why fish is so expensive. The job those guys have to catch fish is dangerous. It's hard work. It's cold. It's wet. And they're out there in the middle of the North Sea or the Barents Sea or wherever they go. And sometimes they drop their great big trawler nets and they get hardly nothing or little tiny fish. And there's no money in it. But then they go to a spot and they get a great catch. And you can almost see them rubbing their wee hands because that's going to be their payday when they get back to shore. They were absolutely astonished. It was beyond their imagination. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or even think. (laughs) Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord did something amazing in your life that not only you but others around you would be astonished at the blessing of God in your life? Maybe he has, apart from your salvation. Maybe he has. Maybe somebody looked at you I thought, how did they get to where they are? <laughs> how did they get that promotion? Hmm? How did they get to where they are in life? Because God blessed them. Their faith and their obedience caused something amazing to happen. You know, it takes faith and obedience to do anything God's work, doesn't it? I remember the day, and you'll remember too, Clifford. I remember the day that Clifford and Evelyn, Sally and I, Kenneth and I, Raven and Joyce. Remember the day we went into that bank and we signed on the dotted line for this building. <laughs> well, hadn't tuppence to rub together between us. <laughs> but we signed for this building. We had no guarantees but we knew it was God. It took a wee bit of faith, a wee bit of courage, but we did it. That was 1992 or 6 or something or 4, whatever, it was in the middle of the 90s anyway. But God blessed. And God moved. And God has touched many lives since that day. And there's people working on the mission field because of this wee church. With three girls right now here on the mission field. Because of that day we went in and signed on the dotted line. And God has more to do, hasn't he? Preached last week, the greater days are ahead of us. Are ahead of us. Look at their abandonment. We're almost finished. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. This was the greatest success 
and their entire professional lives. This was the high point of their careers. This is the most prosperous moment in their lives right now. And it was then they decided to walk away from all and follow him. Hmm. What would we be prepared to lay down to follow him if he asks us to? I'm not saying he's going to ask you to give up your business, give up your job, give up your career. But what if he asks you to give up something else? Hmm? What if there was something that you like to do, you like to have, or you want it to be? And God says, no, follow me. Would you be prepared to lay that down? Because that's what these disciples did. This was their greatest moment. This was their abundance, their success, their prosperity. But they didn't hold it, hold back from surrendering completely to the master. They forsook all and followed him. Now, no doubt, Zebedee, the father, James and John, no doubt he took care of the catch. No doubt that did a lot of good. But as far as they were concerned, nah, they were captivated by him. There was something about him that was different that they were going to follow. They realized their lives would never, ever be the same again. Remember the rich, wrong, wrong, the rich young ruler came to Jesus? <laughs> it's easy for me to say that, isn't it? Remember Jesus talked to him, and Jesus loved him? But when Jesus pressed the heart of the problem, he had many riches, and he loved them. He loved his wealth. He loved his position. He loved his status. And he wasn't prepared to give that up, to lay that down, to follow Jesus. And he walked away from Jesus. And even though Jesus loved him, he let him walk on. He didn't call him back and says, now listen, maybe that's a wee bit rough on you. It's a bit difficult. Maybe I'm asking too much there. Come back and we'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll make a deal here. No, he didn't. He let him walk away. But these disciples, in that moment, they forsook all and they followed him. And then the last thing is their assignment. Verses 9 and 10, Jesus said to Peter, don't be afraid. Come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Just, not just speaking to Peter, but to all of them. Because they all followed him. The Lord was showing them that through this miracle of the fishes, that he could take them from their emptiness to the fullness, from their failure to fulfillment. And that's exactly what he did, by the way. They walked with him for three years. At the end of the three years, when it turned to opposition, <coughs> And they crucified him. They all forsook him and fled. Peter even cursed and swore a denial. 
That's failure, isn't it? Their hearts were empty. No courage, no bravery. <laughs> but Jesus took them from that emptiness to fullness, from that failure to fulfillment. Because on the day of Pentecost, when they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, suddenly, suddenly, they launched out into the deep and they cast out the gospel net and a great catch of fish were taken. <laughs> One sermon, thousands and thousands and thousands were saved. And one catch. It was astonishing, wasn't it? They were astonished too. Everybody was astonished. They'd never seen anything like it. So God can turn our emptiness into fullness and turn our failures into fulfillment, turn our scarcity into supply. He can touch our lives and turn us around and make us touch the lives of others for his glory. Amen? God's good, isn't he? Jesus knew exactly what he was doing that day. He wasn't interested in them just catching fish. He had a bigger plan. But he wanted them to take those steps of obedience and faith because he was going to lead them into better things and bigger things and greater things. But he tested them that day at the seashore. And he tests us too, doesn't he? So that we take bigger steps. We do greater things. We go further in his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today that our failures will not stop us going on to fulfillment. I pray today, Lord, that our feelings will not stop us from going on to fullness. Lord, with our will, our absolute determination to say yes to you, yes to your kingdom, yes to your word, yes to your purposes, Lord, that we will go forward into better things. So we give you thanks, Lord. We bless you for all the steps that all of us has taken in faith in Christ. Help us, Lord, to take more, to live by faith and not by sight, that you may be glorified in our lives. Lord, others' lives may be touched and shaped even through our lives, the influence of Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we give you thanks this morning. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. 
For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.